When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. I have spent the majority of my afternoon following this Titanic story of these five tourists that apparently are very rich. Like, there's a billionaire on board, and they're in this very small submarine that went down, like, two and a half miles to check out the Titanic wreckage that sunk in 1912. I'm sure everybody has heard about this story, either from here on K-Man or on social media, and I've heard a few details here and there. Well, nothing new. The Coast Guard still hasn't found them. They don't know if they're in the water or if they're above the water, and they just can't get out. It, it the su- search is still on. Yeah, it surprised me. One of the things that was noted is that it was not equipped with a beacon whatsoever. It, I, I just watched a story. This was produced by CBS. I don't, I, I don't know if it was like on a morning show or whatever it was, but it was a story about this company that was building these submarines for the, this particular voyage. And inside, it looks incredibly uncomfortable. Awful. I mean, it's it's literally just this giant metal tube it actually just it looks like a giant pill and it holds five people and the thing is you're not even going to see the titanic with your own eyes you got to watch it on a screen and what is being projected on that screen is is a camera right but the whole submarine is literally controlled by a video game controller Mm -hmm. the whole operation like you and then also the the door the door on the submarine is nuts. So they bolt it closed from the outside, so there's no way, even if they're on the surface, there's no way these people can get out. It is impossible for them to get out, even if they are back to the surface. Giant nope. Yeah, I mean, you lost me. I'm like, and, and people are like paying like hundreds of thousands of dollars to be on this. 250 grand. I'm glad you have that exact number. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it absolutely floors me that the only communication they had was via text message. Does that tell you they're at the surface then? If they can send texts, I don't. Can you get cell service below this? You know, in the sea, a couple of miles or a mile down. I don't know. They are super rich. I don't. I don't, I don't know. Boy, I just the whole thing is just yeah. I just thought of a joke that would probably make Norm McDonald. Proud, oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I I can't do it. No, I understand. Man, what a story this is, though. Uh, there was a press conference a couple of hours ago with really no update, and really the post- Coast Guard couldn't really answer any questions right. at that point in time. But they were saying like, when the whole thing began, like they maybe had enough air in there for the five people for like more than three days, maybe three to four days, maybe five days. I'm like, man, that's actually quite a bit of air. I, I for that for how small that thing is and for five people, I'm like, 
felt like that maybe two days of air. But I suppose there was that whole scare that, I don't know if it was a Titanic voyage, but a submarine went down and one of the windows cracked and really freaked people out. So maybe they're removing the windows from those kind of things. I don't know. But it's a story I'm very intrigued about. Welcome to the game. Mitch Fortner and Troy Coverdale, just us two today, and we're on for just an hour as Royals are coming up at 5 o'clock. If you would, boy, could you believe it? The Royals blew it again last night after a 3 0 lead. And uh, Jordan Lyles, hey, I mean, he just need the offense or the defense, rather, the bullpen to uh, hold up for him. And guess what? They did. And I got a feeling uh, we're going to bring him up once again a little, little bit later on in the show. It is Tuesday, so we got Jabroni of the Week coming up. I got a top 10 list coming up in a little bit as. Today we celebrate the 40th birthday of my favorite athlete of all time. Darren Sproles turns 40 today. But to kick things off, and we touched on this yesterday, of course, with Bob Huggins. He has stepped away. He is now done with West Virginia men's basketball. Who knows what his future holds other than, you know, obviously dealing with court and uh, his DUI that he picked up, his second What's next for West Virginia basketball? That is what that athletic direct, uh, that athletic department, that's what the athletic director of West Virginia currently now has to try to figure out. What is next? And are we going for a long-term situation or are we going for a short-term situation? You know, what's interesting, and as I caught this on social media yesterday, and that is first thing West Virginia felt like they needed to do is get the players on a Zoom so they could talk to a couple of West Virginia alumni, including a head coach in the NBA and the Cavs GM. And Missoula, right? That's the head coach for the Boston Celtics, and he is a a, uh, West Virginia alum. I mean, I don't think he would step away from the Boston Celtics to be a West Virginia head coach, but that's a possibility. But Wynn Baker right now has to think – Boy, I was not expecting this at all to happen in the middle of June, and now I'm in a coaching search where the coaching carousel was done, I don't know, just maybe in May. But usually it's like March, April, and maybe a little bit into May is where you see most of this action. And it's not like West Virginia is in a spot where, okay, since we're not in the normal time for coaching changes and coaching hiring, hiring a coach, that they're completely screwed, they just might have to result into a short-term situation. And on top of that, you have to remember that the top assistant who had been with Huggins for years was fired mid-season. Yeah, and the you know, of course, one of the names that had been brought up is Josh Eilert. So Josh Eilert played a couple of seasons at K-State. He was a grad assistant with Huggins his only year here at K-State. And then he followed Huggins for his entire tenure in Morgantown. He has been there the entire time next to Bob Huggins. And I know that's a popular name. Like, hey, if he got the job, that'd be great. You know, K-State fans mm-hmm. and Kansans you know, would be happy for him. He's from Osborne. That's not too far. It's a couple of a couple of hours to the west of Manhattan. But the thing is, he only has, even though he's been with West Virginia for 15, 16 years, he has two years of assistant coaching under his belt. The rest has been in a support staff role. I'm not the biggest expert on this, but I'm not sure that exactly qualifies you for a Power 6 head coaching job, even if it is on an interim base. 
West Virginia has a more experienced guy on the on the staff, and that's Ron Everhart, who has been a head coach three different places, but a total of 18 years of head coaching under his belt already. I would imagine, and I, you know, maybe he's even an option for a full-time head coaching position, but at the very least, on an interim basis, that's probably the way they go, unless they find an outside hire. But of course, that's going to be limited. I don't think the NBA is anybody from the NBA is going to be interested in this job. Maybe. I mean, a West Virginia hire would be one thing. And I don't necessarily see why the only names that are being brought up right now are former West Virginia people. Given the way that things played out for the Celtics, you don't think Missoula would be interested? And that might also be, you know, I don't know. And I know that was brought up. Like That, that turned into a sour locker yeah, room. The seat, and I know the Boston Celtics fans were interested in getting them out after they lost to the Miami Heat in the NBA playoffs. And I, you know, I get it. I mean, the eight seed, right? The eight seed beats you. It's embarrassing. That eight seed made the NBA finals, but he still has his job. And maybe that is the option that they see as best. Go with a West Virginia law. Maybe somebody like a Bob Huggins back in 2007 would be interested in coming back to their alma mater in being the head coach. Maybe. <laughs> maybe that will be the case. But also maybe John Beeline is the answer. For one year, why not? He was pretty successful in his five years at West Virginia. Extremely successful for Michigan, I think, in all of his years? Yes. I mean, he missed just a couple of NCAA tournaments, made it to a national championship game, won a number of Big Ten championships. I know he's 70 years old, but that is a pretty solid short-term option. I just don't think West Virginia has to make the biggest move right now. I don't think they're in that kind of position. I know their position right now really sucks. I mean, it's a really tough place to be. And maybe, you know, the, 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 the right decision – just isn't that easy to make. But they have options. Part of what makes this so very tough is no matter what you do, it's going to be seen as a panic move. Well, the panic move to me was having that that Zoom hmm. conference with Missoula and then the, the GM of the of the Cavaliers basically begging the team to just stick around and, and stick with West Virginia. That the panic move is to keep that team together because I mean according to twenty four seven sports they have the second-best transfer portal class in the country. Kansas would be number one with Hunter Dickinson. But number two is West Virginia. They have a very impressive list of guys that are going to make up this 2023-24 roster. Of course it's a panic move. If you're West Virginia, you don't care what people think about their move. They just need somebody to kind of you know mellow things out. One year isn't going to be the biggest issue in the world, most likely. But finding the long-term situation, I mean, your best bet might be just from hiring from within. And maybe you have a Rodney Terry situation from Texas to where that worked out so well, there's no way you could hire anybody else besides him to, to coach at Texas. He, he had won over the fan base you know, going into the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. He had to be the guy. I mean, it was shocking that Texas hadn't made the move yet because I was actually hearing that a lot of, lot of people at Texas, not just necessarily who works for Texas, but maybe some that donate money, didn't want him to be the next head coach. 
They wanted somebody else. And that would be tied primarily to what had played out for him at Utah. But it became overwhelming favorite that there's no other way they should go. You know, maybe West Virginia could strike gold with, like, Ron Everhart. It could, it could potentially happen. But West Virginia, this is not an easy situation to be in. And things can only crumble if they start losing these transfers. If they start losing these transfers, then they're, they're going to be in trouble. Because there goes, I mean, you would imagine there goes your season. Oh, yeah. Having to rebuild a roster at this point? So, I think their best bet is to go with a, a hire from within. Ron Everhart is probably the best way to go. He's already on the staff. He, of course, I'm sure was a little bit of a part, maybe, in getting these these recruits to come in and make this you know the second best transfer portal class in the country for West Virginia. So maybe that's the way to go, but there's not really a right answer. There just really isn't. West Virginia, I mean, has set up Jesse Edwards, that that big man transfer from Syracuse, Kerr, Krisa, or Krisa, however you say his last name, I Americanize it with Krisa, from Arizona, Montana State's Raekwon Battle. They got a transfer from Manhattan, who apparently is supposed to be pretty decent. And they got a couple of pretty decent returners in Trey Mitchell and Joe Toussaint. I mean, so much was riding on this team heading into this next year. And man, has it crumbled quickly, but they can at least save it, potentially, with making a higher... And they're going to have to do it quickly, most likely. But also, what is NIL... Does NIL st- stick around? Does it, is it still talking to these recruits? I'm telling you, NIL was such a huge part in building this. There's no doubt about that, because the money funneled in very quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was making national headlines about who was on board to help out with NIL. Huge part of it. Oliver Luck and the owner of the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks providing a lot of NIL money for Bob Huggins to be successful. If that's still on board, I think you have a good chance for these recruits to still be on board if money is really talking for them. Story will still play out. We'll see what West Virginia does. Wouldn't be surprised if it's a move that's made very quickly. But when we come back, let's celebrate the birthday boy. Top 10 list with Darren Sproles coming up next. Mitch Fortner with Troy Coverdale. Some BOC brings us back to the game. Troy, you host the K-Man Morning Show. A little after... uh, like 650, 750, and 850. You do uh, birthdays and anniversaries, right? Absolutely. Was this young man that we're about to celebrate on your list today? Absolutely. A milestone birthday for uh, not only my favorite athlete of all time, favorite cat. To me, he is the K-State GOAT. Sorry for you Michael Bishop fans, but to me, it's Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles turns the big 4-0 today. So happy birthday, Darren Sproles. NFL on uh, Twitter has been tossing out a whole bunch of uh, NFL highlights of his during his historic and, in my opinion, Hall of Fame career. Sixth best all-time in all-purpose yards. 
had a kick return slash punt return for a touchdown game, all in the same game against the uh, Indianapolis Colts when he was a Charger. What I loved also was when he went to the NFL, didn't matter where he went, he always got number 43. Unfortunately for Deuce Vaughn, and shame on Jerry Jones. I, first of all, you know me. My relationship with Jerry Jones is a bit up and down, to say the least. Couldn't have been higher. I mean, we're talking Mamba roller coaster higher than when he drafted Deuce Vaughn and popped the tears out of the face of everybody that watched that video when they drafted Deuce Vaughn and his dad. Hey, buddy, you want to come to work with me? I mean, come on. They're going to make a movie out of that someday. And then we kind of dip down when I see uh, Deuce is not going to be able to wear 22. It's going to be 42. And to me, that's weird. But they got a thing with the Dallas Cowboys. They don't retire numbers. They just set them aside. And it's kind of like, you know, hey, legends wore these numbers. Like, you know, Troy Aikman and eight. He, legend, wore that number. You're not going to see it again. 22 Emmett Smith, not going to see it. So maybe one day they'll get over it and, and Deuce Vaughn will uh, make 22 great again. But to celebrate Darren Sproles turning 40, and it is Tuesday, so I got a top 10 list. How about the top 10 Darren Sproles rushing performances? I went back and uh, dug up all the numbers. Got an old media guides, and I tracked down what were the 10 best rushing performances by Darren Sproles. And we're going to have some highlights sprinkled in as well. So let's start with, of course, number 10. It was one of his 24 100-yard rushing days at K-State. His number 10 best performance ever was in 2003 when the Cats hosted Baylor. 19 carries, 155 yards, didn't have any touchdowns, but he also had three catches for 126 yards receiving. That was one of his best all-purpose days as a Wildcat. Now, some of these games, you know, I'm a bit blank when it comes to the actual memories of those games. It kind of blurs after a while, but we'll definitely get to some def- uh, definite memorable moments. Off to number nine on the best performance rushing-wise for Darren Sproles at K-State was against Nebraska in 2002. I think the big highlight we remember for that game was the long run by L. Roberson. The game was at the Bill. He's going towards the north end zone, and he breaks off. It was like an felt like an 80-yard touchdown. I can't remember how long it was. It was a game on FSN. It felt like that was the big highlight. But Darren Sproles had himself a day as well. 22 carries, 159 yards, and he had three touchdowns in the contest. On our top 10 list, Darren Sproles rushing performances. Number eight. And they go toss sweep this direction. Oh, what a move by Sproles. Had he come out of that corner? Darren Sproles heading to the end zone. Touchdown, Kansas State. A run of 75 yards. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Because I remember actually that game quite well. And by the way, K-State will be playing in this stadium this season. Fro Field, Columbia, Missouri, the 2004 game. Because in that game, K-State was down 21-0. We saw both quarterbacks play. We saw Dylan Meyer. We saw Allen Webb in the contest. Darren Sproles was the difference maker. 
Old friend Drew Goodman on the call, by the way. 22 carries, 160 yards, and two touchdowns against the Missouri Tigers. We're not done with Mizzou. We'll get there back to them in just a moment. Number seven. Number seven was his very last game at K-State. And I still think about it, and I'm like, why couldn't we get him one more dub? Even, you know, 2004 was a, was a brutal year. Really, what? Losing in Lawrence. I mean, right out of the gate, you knew when they played Western Kentucky and won 27-13. to And maybe it was going to maybe be a rough year. And it was. Four wins that year. But in 2007, Darren Sproles capped off his Wildcat career. 21 carries, 167 yards, and a touchdown. Number six. The man in motion is Antoine Polite. First carry of the day. And this is Darren Sproles. And he's at midfield to the 40, to the 30, to the 25, 20, to the 10. And bumped out of bounds at the seven-yard line. A 55-yard run. Tim Mixon makes the stop. Are you kidding? What a play. You might remember from the 2003 season, not only did the uh, chase for a Big 12 championship end at Arrowhead Stadium, it began at Arrowhead Stadium against the Cal Golden Bears. And also remember this, the season started August 23rd of 2003. K-State beats Cal. It was another nice day for Darren Sproles. 22 carries, a buck 75, a touchdown, and in that game, eight yards per carry. But now we uh, pass a milestone because the rest of these games are in the 200s. We're going in order. The top 10 best rushing performances in Darren Sproles' career at K-State. Number five. Number five, we go to Ames, Iowa. It was a 2003 game against the Cyclones. 19 carries, 201 yards, and three touchdowns. If you do the math, the yards per carry in that game was 10.6. But that was not Darren Sproles' best yards per carry in his career. And we'll get to that here in just a little bit. Number four. Number four is a very forgettable game. And I actually just brought it up a couple of seconds ago. It was the Western Kentucky game in 2004. And at the time, I take that back, it narrowly missed a career record for Darren Sproles in carries in a ball game. 42 carries. And a lot of them were very necessary. Almost all of them were very necessary to win that game. 42 carries, 221 yards, and a touchdown for number 43. Number three. On the list of the top 10 performances rushing for Darren Sproles in his K-State career, this will sound familiar. And here comes Sproles breaking to Now, of course, that wasn't his touchdown in the game. That was a receiving touchdown on a screen play. That was one of his best. I mean, Darren Sproles, this was the play that really broke open the offense for K-State in the Big 12 championship game against number 1 Oklahoma, December 6th of 2003. But how did he finish? 22 carries, 235 yards, and that's where Darren Sproles set the record for yards per carry in a game. 10.7 yards per Gary against who we thought at the time was the best team ever. Here comes number two. James Terry goes in motion from right to left. It's an option pitch to Sproles right side. Great block. He walks in. Touchdown Wildcats. 
Darren Sproles will score on the ground for the 14th time this year. The second best rushing performance ever for Darren Sproles. Once again, we bring up the Missouri Tigers. It was senior night in 2003, and a win for the Cats puts him into the Big 12 championship. They become the Big 12 North champions, and the Cats won that game 24-14. Behind a game of where Darren Sproles had a career-high 43 carries for 273 yards and two touchdowns in the, in, the, uh, in the game. But finally, here is your big trivia question answer. Who is the opponent, and how many yards? Was for Darren Sproles in his best rushing day ever. Well, I'll tell you. Number one. Number one. Troy, do you have a guess? I'd like it to be the Kansas Jayhawks. Because everybody thinks... It was the Oklahoma game. It was the Missouri game. I feel like I'm the only one that knows the answer. And I know it because I was at the game. Fine, rub it in. No, it was not KU, although, I, yes, I would agree. It was September 18th of 2004. The Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns were visiting Manhattan, Kansas. And I remember this well because I remember there was one Ragin' Cajun fan that had, like, a logo shirt on, and I love their logo. But he is just screaming. Woo, let's go, Regin' Kitchens. But in a more Louisiana accent. I mean, it got everybody's attention. Straight out of the water, boy. And I've, somebody should tell him, we don't sell beer at the concession stands. That's not coming for at least another 23 years. <laughs> at least. <laughs> at that point, we're like, maybe a beer garden. Now, Darren Sproles against Louisiana Bank in 2004, 38 carries in the record, 292 yards, and that's still a record today, 292 yards against the Raging Cajuns, and he had one touchdown, 7.7 yards per carry. Once again, happy birthday, happy 40th birthday to the K-State GOAT, Darren Sproles. We still have Jabroni of the Week coming up. We're with you till 5 o'clock. More of the game next. Your home for K-State sports. K-State will run it. Here's Deuce. Deuce breaks a tackle. He's at the 20. He's at the 10. He's in the house. He's in the house. Touchdown, Cats. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. It is the game on K-Man. Mitch and Troy, we're with you until 5 o'clock. If you missed any of the show, that included a top 10 Darren Sproles list, plus what West Virginia is going to do next for uh, men's basketball, what they're going to do with that head coaching job, was discussed to begin the show. Search for the game K-Man wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure to follow it as well. Keep up with what's going on in K-State, Big 12, and national uh, headlines. Um thought this was pretty cool that uh, so the, the USFL and I've never watched a single second of the USFL unless I'm like somewhere a sports bar or whatever and it just happens to be gone like I do not consider it anything close to the XFL right am I wrong about that hmm. like if you were to rank them like the XFL, it seems like, and I rank it based off of like who's been getting invites to like OTAs or whatever. XFL tended to raid the USFL from last year. 
Of course, I say that, though, and Case Cook is still slinging it around for Philadelphia. I will say, though, I think it's pretty sweet that there's going to be a number of former Wildcats, though, that are actually going to be playing this weekend, if you do want to catch this, uh, that are going to be playing in the USFL playoffs. Hopefully, you remember Eli Walker. I was a big Eli Walker fan. He was a safety for the Cats, defensive back, last played in 2018, even though he didn't play on a great team to end his career. Uh, he is playing with the, and I kind of I like these teams, the Pittsburgh Maulers. We'll have Eli Walker. Noah Johnson. I mean, he's felt like he was just here yesterday. Noah Johnson is the center for the Michigan Panthers. He wrapped up his career in uh, 2021. The Birmingham Stallions has Elijah Sullivan. I was a big Elijah Sullivan fan, two-time All-Big 12 honorable mention and he wrapped up his career in 2020. So they have three Wildcats playing on the four teams uh, for the USFL playoffs that will be played this weekend, one game Saturday and one day Sunday. By the way, speaking of tonight, actually, I, I've got Lindsay now onto these Dark Side of the Ring documentaries. Uh-oh. Because she likes documentaries that have to do with drama, and it's a lot better if it has a a love, uh, like a, a love story sure. mixed in as well that just you know ends in, you know, absolute chaos and drama and that's what you get with dark side of the ring there's so many dark stories tonight they're going to air the episode and if you're an old school wrestling fan i'm i'm sure this will ring a bell it was such a ridiculous gimmick and it got over it actually worked was doink the clown <laughs> debuted as a heel <laughs> and if you think about it evil clown coming out yep. to to creepy music yep and it's 1993 yep I, you know what? It wasn't the worst idea in the world. Better that she's into these, though, than true crime series. Well, the last uh, the last episode that aired had to do with Eddie Graham, who was the owner of Championship Wrestling in, uh, from Florida. And you want to talk about one of the saddest stories you've ever heard? I, I'll give you the spoiler because I doubt you'll ever watch it. But four generations of guys killed themselves in that family. Oh, geez. Four generations. It was, I and I didn't even know the story. I know most of these stories ahead of time. I'm very familiar with a lot of these. But I was like, I was not ready for that. I was like, what a way to get dark. That's Dark Side of the Ring. Absolutely. It's on Vice, and they got the Doink, of the, uh, Doink the Clown episode tonight. Um. Boy, it, it, also, if you've never heard the story of like the background of like when Owen Hart passed away Kemp Arena when he fell from the ceiling. That background, honestly, that episode of Dark Side of the Ring is a huge reason why I do not watch WWE anymore. And I do not support Vince McMahon. It, it's very sad, some of that info that was released in that episode. When we come back, we will wrap up the show with our next Jabroni of the Week after these words. Know your role and shut your mouth, you jabroni. You jabronis hit the jackpot. That Hollywood brand jabroni, Hulk Hogan. Al, is this jabroni's name? Jabroni of the week. Well, first of all, I want to give a shout out to TCU. Uh, they get redemption over Oral Roberts. They win, and uh, so did Luke Savage, who, by the way, he blew the lead in game one of the College World Series where Carl Ravitch had that bad call. That's actually where I'm starting out with jabroni of the week. Uh, but TCU is still ahead, and I, I got to apologize again. I meant to pull this audio earlier, and I forgot to. Maybe, Troy, you might be able to find this audio of Carl Ravage. I'll come back to him here in just a little bit. Maybe you could pull that up for me real quick. 
Uh, that's my bad. So, but with Jabroni of the Week, three dishonorable mentions. I will culminate with Jabroni of the Week. You know the rules. Just one Jabroni can rule them all week to week. Uh, first dishonorable mention, I got to go with the Kansas City Royal here, and that is pitcher Jordan Lyles. So, he pitched yesterday, as a matter of fact, against the Detroit Tigers. And when he left the game, Royals were in control after the Royals got a two-run homer. First, it was a solo home run, then a two-run homer in the fourth inning. Kansas City's up 3-0, but of course, Kansas City couldn't hold on the lead. And now, Lyles is 0-11 to start the year for the Royals. Makes him just the fifth starter since 1969 to begin the year with 11 losses or more. He is just three away from tying Matt Keogh who started 0-14 for the Athletics in 1979. That's the longest losing streak by a starter to begin the season. Tied team record held by Vita Blue in, set in 1983. Vita Blue's excuse was that was the year that he was utilizing the booger sugar. <laughs> I mean, that might be fair. That might be fair. For Lyles, I mean, 0-11, that is actually the second longest. And then Keo at 0-14 is the longest. So now Lyles has tied the second longest drought without a win to begin the year, taking all the losses. That poor guy. Because how did you explain to me earlier? I think it was yesterday because we I think it was brought up off the air. Jordan Lyles is pitching. He'll eat up innings, but he always loses. That's basically the gist of it, right? Yes. And And there again, last night. Got into the seventh inning. And they still couldn't get it done. Nope. And now the Royals have lost 12 of the last 13. Isn't that right? Yeah. By the way, uh, Keo's is the major record. Blues was the team record. Gotcha. That he matched up with. My next dishonorable mention, and I think this is just gross. My next dishonorable mention is betonline.ag or .ag or whatever you want to call them. It's an off- Shore sports betting operator. And they announced last week that they're going to now start allowing bets on the Special Olympics. The Special Olympics World Games actually taking place right now. It's going to wrap up on the 25th, but the World Games are taking place right now in Berlin, Germany, and they're offering bets on basketball, cycling, powerlifting, soccer, swimming, and track and field. And I think DG said it best. If you place a bet on the Special Olympics... Just put yourself in a sports gambling rehab right now. Absolutely. And I hope you lose all your money. My last dishonorable mention, let's bring him up now since thanks to Troy pulled up the audio for me, saving the day, is ESPN's Carl Ravitch. And this one is hammered to left field. Did he do it? Yes, sir! Walk-off home run, the nine-hitter Blaze Brothers, and Oral Roberts rallies and wins it. TCU, I should say. Top half, that's right. Not bottom. Three-run shot, though. Puts him on top after it felt like they were down and out. 6-5. Troy, I don't know about you, but as a broadcaster, that's really hard to listen to. Painful. I felt really bad for him. Most are laughing. I'm cringing. And I just... I felt horrible for Carl Ravage. I know there are some out there just aren't big fans of his play-by-play. Much more prefer him as like in-studio type of guy. You know, to me, whoever's the broadcaster for you know, it's typically ninety-five percent of the games. I don't really care who it is. 
Not a big deal to me. They're all doing their homework. I'm in the business as they are. I know how tough it is. They've all worked hard to get to where they're at. But for Carl Ravitch, I've also been there. As a matter of fact, I was there earlier this year when I called a home run, and it was actually a uh, a pop-up that was called. It was caught at the wall, and I thought it had bounced into the bleachers. I just saw it wrong. You know, and it happens. We've all made mistakes. Luckily, I've never made a mistake like that, where it's on the like what I felt like was the last play of the game. Uh, but poor Carl Ravitch. And now I don't think he – has he done any other broadcasts at the College World Series? He, is oh, he yeah. still doing them? Oh, yeah. Okay. In fact, I think he'll be on tonight. All right. They, they tend to put him on the night cast. But my jabroni of the week, I would love to hear if anybody's heard about this. The Big Rock Blue Marlin Tournament. It's every year in North Carolina. It's for big money as well. Started in 1957. Well, my jabroni of the week is the, those that were on the boat sensation because they had thought they'd won the whole thing. They caught a marlin that was 619 pounds. There's a cash prize for the top winner overall, and then whoever caught the biggest marlin also gets a prize. Well, it turns out at some point before the catch, that marlin, which, by the way, took him six hours to reel in, had bite marks and some claw or some sort of like bite or claw marks on the marlin. It was damaged when they had caught the, the, the fish. Well, that is a disqualification according to this tournament. Wow. So not only would this team won first place, they would have won the prize for the biggest catch. Where the big jabroni part of this comes in, they didn't know the rule. They got DQ'd. The money they lost, first of all, the money they lost for the biggest catch was $739,000. Oh, my. For winning the whole thing, which they would have, but they didn't because they got DQ'd. $2.7 million that they lost. Because of a rule they didn't know. Because they, the people that put on the tournament feel like, okay, since it has been attacked, it's oh. a bit weaker, so it's easier to reel in the marlin. It took them six hours. Oh. A technicality. I'm, I'm sorry. That, that is Jabroni of the Week. Has to be. No doubt about it. A technicality. Well, tomorrow's going to be our only full show of the week. Plan to have Derek Young from K-State Online on. We got the Royals coming up right now, top of the hour, at Detroit. Until then, we'll talk to you at 4 o'clock tomorrow. For Troy Coverdale, I'm Mitch Fortner. Go Cats.